You're listening to the Outdoor Podcast, proudly presented by Six Hour and created by Bowhunter Planet. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Outdoor Podcast. Tim and Dave here, your hosts today. And along for the ride with us is Lucas Paul. Hopefully I said that right. I usually ask before I do my introductions, but today I didn't do that. So Lucas, how are you? <laughs> Tim, Dave, I'm doing well. And and you got it right. It's like awesome. DAW. So yeah, you're good. Good deal. I read it on the screen, but you know, reading isn't my uh isn't the highlight of my uh of my knowledge. So I'm sure. glad that I got it right there. So Lucas, we wanted to wanted to have you on and just have a conversation about, you know, what you do in the industry, um, what companies you work with and represent and all that kind of stuff. So give us like a little bit of gra- background on you and all that you do in the outdoor industry. Okay. Yeah. So um, I would say probably dating back, um, you know, probably as a, as a child, I've always been in the outdoors. Um as a kid growing up in Montana, where I was born and raised, definitely was immersed in, in that lifestyle with my family um, through high school and college in Montana and uh, continued to, to do a lot of hunting, probably more fishing than hunting uh, when I was younger. Uh, but I really found a, a big passion for bow hunting. Uh, I actually moved from Montana to California. I've been in California now for 20 years on the central coast of California. And uh, Surprisingly, most people don't think of hunting in California as two things very synonymous, but um, surprisingly, um, there's some incredible hunting here uh, where I live and and lots of different species. Um, We've got Rio Grande turkeys, we've got black-tailed deer, uh, we've got tule elk, and then we've got a lot of wild pigs here on the coast. So, um, you know, kind of being here for the last 20 years has really enabled uh, a lot of really good hunting opportunities here uh, in Central California. But Beyond that, um, you know, I, I hunt a lot all over the world. I do uh, a lot of different international hunts. I do a lot of domestic hunts, depending on tags I draw. So anyway, I keep a, keep a pretty busy schedule. Um, on top of a actual day job, I'm actually a, a petroleum engineer, but uh, that's my day work. But outside of that work, um, you guys were talking about um, affiliations and companies. Um, I do um, basically work for Hunt and Fool, so I'm one of their hunt advisors. Uh, I also am a part of the Hunt and Fool Adventures booking agency, so I am basically working with outfitters, working with clients, trying to pair, you know, someone calls in and says, hey, I want to go, you know, bow hunt a a whitetail in Iowa, what do I have to do? So what we do is we can help them apply for the tag. If they draw the tag, then we can help set them up with an outfitter, along with any anything in the world if they want to go hunt um you know um ibex in kyrgyzstan we can provide those options too so kind of a a full-scale um you know a to z license uh, application process where we also book hunts um i also do contract work with qu i've been working with them for quite a few years i do um, a lot of shows for them so a lot of the the like dallas safari safari club international um the wild sheep foundation show a lot of those shows I do a lot of work for them in the booth, uh, repping a lot of their gear, do some R&D work for them as well. And then lastly, um, I also kind of have done a partnership with Hogue Knives. So Hogue Knives is not really, I would say, brand recognized in the hunting industry, but very well known kind of in the shooting industry for their grips. 
uh, here in the last couple of years, we collaborated on a, on a knife set. It's a um, kind of a scalpel and a fixed blade knife set. And uh, it's been fun working with them on that project. And we've since kind of launched that here in the last year uh, and really trying to get the knives out there on the market. So a lot, a lot of different irons in the fire, uh, but it definitely passed his time. Uh, and it's definitely a passion of mine is helping, um, you know, helping folks find hunts, book hunts, um, draw tags, uh, but also uh, helping folks with equipment and gear and stuff like that. So a lot of different things that I do, a lot of different hats I wear. That's awesome. Well, I, you know, I was going to say the um, concept of Kuyu with, you know, what you're doing, it just, it seems to like make a lot of sense to me. Like the type of game you're going after, the type of stuff you're working on, it's very intensive type stuff. And, and you, you're in a lot of different environments that are, you know, <laughs> all over the board. It looks like in some of your pictures and videos and stuff. And um, I guess tell us a little bit about Kuyu from that standpoint. Cause you know, I think most people, you know, people have heard of Kuyu, you know, we're in Michigan here. So Michigan, you know, generally there people are going to buy like Scentlock, um, you know, stuff that's a little bit lower cost than like a Kuyu uh, generally because, you know, our type of hunting isn't really, that aggressive i guess where you know you're traveling long periods of time or you're hitting huge cold patches huge hot patches i guess tell us a little bit about the quality type thing like what what is it made for i guess the kuyu branding yeah no great question so you know kuyu's been around um you know 10 to 15 years i want to say around 2010 was kind of the genesis there um it was really based on the sole intent of being kind of an ultralight um, kind of a backpacking style hunting gear. It was, a, it was a very tight fit, athletic fit type gear. And over the years, what you've seen is you've seen some of the other companies kind of fitting that mold too, where you're seeing more of that kind of lighter weight material, um, but also, um, you know, garments that fit you like you want them to fit. You know, I, I like stuff to fit me fairly tight when I'm out doing a lot of the stuff versus things that are very baggy. But the cool thing I, I see about QU and, and there are things that really, I think where my value is aligned there um, is a lot of the guys that work there and the guys that innovate the products are hunters. They are guys that are continually out there. They're hunting caribou in the Northwest Territories. Um, they're hunting, um, you know, sheep uh, all over Alaska, all over British Columbia. And they're also hunting coos deer in Mexico. And, you know, they're hunting black-tailed deer in California when it's, you know, 100 plus degrees in the summertime. So, you know, having that range of clothing uh, and, and having guys that actually innovate and create it are actually out there hunting in the gear, I think is important. And it's definitely a, a testament to the company. Um, some of the gear, which you'll find, uh, especially you're talking about different climates, different locations. Absolutely. I mean, what I wear here when I'm, um, you know, hunting blacktails in the summer when it's 100 degrees is, is totally different than what I would wear if I was in Tajikistan hunting sheep in December. And the cool thing about Kuyu is, is that they provide gear for very lightweight, um, very lightweight materials for the summertime. And then they have a great layering system um, that's included both in synthetics and wools <clears throat> that you can use with outer layers that can get you through a hunt uh, in December uh, in a cold climate. The other thing that I would caveat too, as you guys talk about being in Michigan, Kuyu released a whitetail line uh, here in the last year that's actually um, been released um, and it was specifically based on kind of those types of climates in, um, you know, in the Midwest. When it's colder, you're sitting in a tree stand all day. Uh, it's a fleece, uh, it's actually a Polartec fleece design 
It's very quiet. It's very, um, it's very durable. Uh, and it's also very warm. Uh, so anyway, for, for all the kind of hunters out there, there's, there's a lot of options. And most people think, well, I got to have Kuyu if I'm doing a sheep hunt in Alaska. Well, that's not necessarily the case. I know a lot of people um, out east and, and uh, that wear it and uh, they love the gear. So that, I got to tell you, that's one thing that um, I've always heard about Kuyu is quality. You know, I think I think Kuyu attached to the name is is just that's what people think of. Um, they've done it right in rolling out the apparel that they've had in regards to you know making sure that what they're putting out um, lasts and it's worth the value that you're paying for it. So yeah, there's definitely a durability factor, and in, in a lot of the fabrics, depending on how they're woven, like there's a katana line, it's a stretch woven, so how they actually blend the fabrics together. Um, creates a, a very strong durable fabric there's obviously stuff like the down layers and other things they're not designed to be moved in right those are designed to be sitting glassing cold environments but they make apparel where you can move in it and be active uh, and and not really kind of turn into a to a heating furnace if you will so yeah it the the durability um the quality i mean those are all things that that play into that and and on top of that it's it's truly a lifestyle brand i mean I'll tell you everything I'm wearing right now. It's in solids and it's all Kuyu gear. It, it's it's solid pants. It's solid tops. It's actually cooler here on the coast this week. I've been wearing a jacket most of the week, but they have really good lifestyle branding uh, apparel too, which on top of the hunting um, gear. So it's it's kind of nice to be able to blend in and out. There's times if I'm guiding, I'll wear all solids. If I come into town and and stop and eat something, it doesn't look like I've been out hunting in all this camel gear. So it's pretty neat to have the options of their camel patterns and their solids as well so very good man awesome yeah it was uh i was gonna say it but you already did you know many people don't think about california as a as a big hunting state right um you know you think about the restrictions and all that kind of stuff so um yeah. it's it it's good to i love talking to people from different areas because we get to get a feel of what it is like out there um and, and it sounds like they have some really good opportunities a lot of, around a lot of different species to be able to do that um and i can see your affinity towards that qu side as well because they have a lot of different options um you know california you got a lot of different um ranges in regards to elevation and temperature changes there but a lot of different north to south ranges as well so i mean you can kind of run the full gambit within one apparel company for everything that you need yeah and you know the other thing about kuyu is they are based in california they're based in dixon um yeah, and they've been awesome. based there ever since the start and uh, so for me convenience wise you know i'm three and a half four hours if I, if I need to be there i can generally i you know unless there's events or other things i typically unless I'm passing through. But, you know, when you talk about the landscape of California, you're 100% right. I mean, it's everything from coastal hills to desert to the Sierras, which can get to 14,000 feet, right? Whitney's, you know, 15,000 feet. So it's got everything when you think about it, north to south, east to west. Um, I live in an area that's more coastal ranging kind of rolling hills. Um, I would say in that, you know, 800 to 2,000 feet range, it's very steep. Um, area but in general um, it stays green here it, it's we get uh, you know this was a year where we saw you know a 50 to 75 year rainfall year so the grass is super high um, our animals are doing absolutely phenomenal right now uh, and that really speaks to you know what a little bit of water and feed can do when you actually get some here but yeah I mean our our um, 
just to go over some of our seasons. So you can hunt pigs year round here. Uh, and it's kind of neat here, unlike Texas and other places, we spot and stock pigs. So we go out looking under oak trees, glassing them up from a mile away and, and actually put stocks on them. Um, we get really good size, uh, you know, Russian type boars here that we'll take. Um, in the spring, we also have turkey hunts. What's cool about the Rio Grande here in California is you can shoot up to three birds in the spring here. Oh, wow. Um, so basically just with an upland bird license and a, and a, and a um, hunting license, you can shoot three birds in a spring. Then we roll into, in the summer months, we roll into our archery blacktail season, uh, which A-Zone is the actually the earliest archery black or archery deer season in the lower 48. Um, I also guide for tule elk hunting. So those typically start in July. I usually pick up a few draw tags uh, for that. So that goes into July and August. Uh, and then uh, considerably with that, you roll into the general deer season in August. And then we also have a fall turkey season. Um, and that's actually in uh, late October, November, and you can shoot one bird in the fall. So once again, year round, you can stay pretty active um, hunting a lot of different species and uh, you know and you can get up to two deer tags here in California too a year so a lot of opportunity a lot of people don't think that to your point they think you know gun rights blah 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 but if you live in an area where it's fairly conservative like I do um, and hunting is pretty well accepted um, it's there's some great opportunities here and, and a lot of folks don't even realize that so so how many uh, how many freezers do you have <laughs> actually, I actually have two. I have a, I have one big upright. I have a chest freezer. And surprisingly enough, you know, I, I do a fair amount of hunting in California, but I do a lot of hunting across the states. Um, if I could bring back all the meat that I harvested in the year, um, I can't even typically eat a quarter of what I harvest. So I, I actually end up giving a lot of meat away uh, because I just can't physically eat it. Um, but, you know, for me, part of it is the experience. I think more I think the meat is always kind of a side benefit, but I love to hunt because I love the experiences. Um, I love to go and see different places, hunt with different people, um, take in different cultures, especially the international stuff is fun. So, but yeah, the meat's always a, a side benefit uh, when you can bring it back home. No doubt. No doubt. So I want to tie this back into Hunting Fool real quick. And for those of you that want to look it up and check out Hunting Fool, it's hunting without the G. Um, fool.com. So they, a lot of great information, um, great resources on there. Um, but how is California to hunt for a non-resident? Is it, is it complicated? Is it hard to navigate? And that's really where Hunt and Fool comes in is regardless, you guys can help set up hunts really in many, many different states if somebody hasn't been there before, but specifically California for non-residents, um, you know, how is it and, and what is the cost? To yeah. Great question. So um, California, I would say, is a is a fairly, I would say, liberal non-resident state to hunt in. Um, when it comes to certain tags like elk tags, there's only actually the cool thing about California is they offer both Roosevelt, they offer Rocky Mountain and they offer Thule. So they offer all three species of elk in the state and Thule of which being the only state in which you can harvest a Thule elk in. But the downside for being a non-resident is there's only one tag out of all of the tags that go into the draw for residents. There's only one tag that goes to a non-resident gotcha. and there's no guarantees. It gets drawn to a Rocky or Roosevelt or a Thule. So if you're looking to sheep hunt or elk hunt in California, 
it's not the state to apply in. And I tell people that all the time because we get people calling and I'm, I'm pretty much the specialist and advisor for California. I help write the section of the magazine too. And, you know, what I tell folks is if you want to hunt turkeys, you want to hunt pigs or you want to hunt deer, it's a great opportunity state because most deer permits you can apply, you can draw over the counter or you can purchase over the counter with a hunting license. Um, hunting license, non-resident is going to be in that hundred and $70 range. Um, you can pick up a pig tag for about 80 bucks. You can get an upland bird license for, I think it's five to 10 bucks. And then your deer tag is around, I think $280. So you can, you could literally come here, hunt in a general B zone, A zone, get a black tail tag, go hunt public land and, and, and hunt all you want for the whole season. So, um, but when it comes to those kind of once in a lifetime species, it, it's just not the state. Um, I'm one of which who's max points. I have 21 points in, in California. Actually, I have 20 going in with 21 this year. Um, I have yet to draw my elk tag or my sheep tag, which I know there are no guarantees for those. Um, and I'm even applying in a unit for elk that's about a one in seven chance. Uh, and for some reason, I just always am that one that's not that that one. So, um, but um, yeah, but in general, California um, does provide a lot of good opportunities for non-residents just really not for those once in a lifetime type tags. Yeah, that's that's kind of Michigan too. I mean, the whole uh, bear I think is a little bit easier at times, but you still need a lot of points in order to to draw a bear tag, even as a resident. And, and the elk side, I mean, it's truly a once in a lifetime, and you're lucky to get it. Um, our population, I think, last count, they try to keep the herd between like a thousand, two thousand animals in the upper upper part of Michigan, upper north, upper lower part of Michigan, um, which is surprising that people even realize wow, you guys have elk in Michigan and there's a hunting season for them. Yeah, there is, but uh, good luck getting a tag for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's awesome. So, so the, the, for, for California hunting in general, um, you know, is there a lot of public land? Cause that's one of the challenges we run into a lot in the Midwest area, especially the Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, that, that whole kind of area is that there is a lot of public land, but a, that, but, when I say a lot, it means you can find it pretty easily, but usually, and there can be a lot of pressure on it, right? So yeah. how is that pressure situation on public land out in California if I wanted to come out there and do a public land hunt? Yeah, we get that question a lot. Um, you know, we get a lot of blacktail hunters that say, hey, you know, I'm trying to kill my deer slam. I need to kill a blacktail. I know that in California, I can basically buy a, an A or B zone tag, buy a license and go hunt. You know, what are my odds at, at, at harvesting or even having an opportunity at a deer. And quite honestly, um, surprisingly, when you really break the state down, it's a roughly about a 50-50 to 60-40 private to public land. I mean, when you think about all of the national forests in this state, um, there's a ton of national forests um, in California and all that's public land, right? There's a lot of state land, there's a lot of BLM land, all of the Sierra Nevadas um, are, for the most part, public land. I mean, anyone can go recreate, do the Trans-Sierra Trail, which takes you from the west side to the east side. That's all public land recreating. So, and within all those areas, deer inhabit a lot of those areas. So, you know, what I tell folks is, is you know, if you do a little bit of scouting, um, if you use any type of, you know, Google Earth, Onyx, any of those type of applications, you can um, kind of pinpoint some pretty good areas on public land without having to be here and have some ideas where you think, you know, you might go and, and try to hunt in the fall. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Sig Sauer, keeping you safe in and out of the field, but also keeping you in the field longer with Sig's lamp of cross rifles, optics, ammo, and more. Learn all about it at SigSauer.com. Also brought to you by Tinks, Dead Downwind, Burris, Vapor Trail, Stokerized, Arizona Archery Enterprises, Apex Rewards, and Easton. Last year, Reveal by Tacticam quickly became the most sought-after scouting camera in America, making cellular scouting available to any hunter. We ask our users how we can make this outstanding camera even better, and this is our answer. Introducing the all-new Reveal X. Even easier setup, better battery life, faster trigger speed, on-demand HD photos, extended detection range. This season, find out what all the buzz is about. Get a new Reveal X by Tacticam. Typically, I will provide people a little bit of insight that I can on general areas. Um, You know, hey, focus kind of in these specific areas. Um, And then, you know, allow someone to go do their homework a little bit. But um, we have had a lot of... um, of test cases where folks said, Hey, I'm just going to go out there, buy a tag over the counter, go hunt. And they were successful. And uh, a little bit of work can go a long ways um, with doing a little bit of e-scouting and getting a little of Intel, you know, having, having a subscription. So a little bit about hunting fool for a hundred dollars a year, you subscribe, you get a magazine every month, you get all the information in the magazine. So if you wanted to apply for elk in Pennsylvania or elk in Colorado, we have write-ups for all of those States units, um, different different areas that we would consider maybe more of a trophy area versus not. But the other benefit you get with that subscription um, is you get what's called uh, basically a member draw list. So if I'm someone who drew a tag, uh, a deer tag in Nevada in 071 to 078, I can call in a hunt fool and said, hey, I just drew this awesome Nevada deer tag. We'll say, okay, we have this list of folks that have drawn it previously here's their phone number, here's their email, call them. So we provide that service so people can, you know, collaborate and network with others that have drawn the tag. The other thing we offer are people like me, hunt advisors, where we specialized in in certain areas. For me specifically, I do most all of the international stuff, minus Africa and then California. I'm also leaned on in Montana because I was born and raised and have a lot of insight there. So we all have kind of, um, I would say, areas of expertise within the states that we know. And we're more than willing to share a lot of information that we can. So great resource, um, you know, and I, I've always said, you know, it's, it's when you think about, you know, investments in, in hunting, we spend thousands of dollars on rifles and bows and gear, but a lot of times we never spend time or money on actually resourcing and trying to figure out where to go. And that's probably as or more important than anything else in our tool bag. So anyway, yeah, we, we provide a lot of services outside um, just applying people and drawing tags. Yeah, no, yeah, no, 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 no. So I obviously just maximize your success ratio, right? If I'm going to put all this effort into it, I'm going to buy the tag, I'm going to set everything up. Um, you know, having somebody like you to come along and, and, and help through that process, help give guide, you know, guidance, hook them up with guides and all that kind of stuff is just, I mean, why wouldn't you, right? I mean, yeah. if you want to maximize your, your time out there, because a lot of people, I have to imagine a lot of people that you talk to, um, and especially in, in the overseas type of stuff, it's a once in a lifetime thing for them, right? So it's got to be done right. It's got to be thought through. It's got to be intentional. Uh, otherwise, why are you doing it? You're just going to waste your money if you're not preparing yourself for it, just like anything else in life. Yeah. And speaking to that, I think that's an important thing too. So 
I get a lot of the international requests. So I get a lot of the Argali stuff in Mongolia, Tajikistan. I get a lot of the Ibex stuff around Spain. I've done a lot of these hunts. So when someone calls in and says, hey, I want to go hunt Ibex in Mongolia, well, I've hunted there. I've done that. I know things that you need to think about. I know how much, how much rounds of ammunition you need to bring in the country. I know what visas you need, what you need to be concerned about when traveling with a firearm to these countries, right? So having done a lot of these hunts and, and used endorse outfitters, I can give someone a play-by-play, -play, hey, when you get to this point, here's what to expect. And when you get out to camp, here's what you can expect. And so having that background definitely helps in, in booking a lot of these hunts. Because to your point, a lot of these folks, hey, I'm 65 years old. I want to do this hunt. It's a, it's a, it's a, um, you know, it's a once in a lifetime deal. I'm never going to do it again. Um, I really want to make sure it's done right. And that's part of what we offer is, is we vet our outfitters. Um, we ensure that we're using endorsed outfitters um, and ones that we would trust and we would put our name behind. And then we, we can put the whole trip together from A to Z. If, if they need help um, booking their travel, um, travel insurance, any of that kind of stuff, booking agents, we can do all of that stuff for someone if they just tell us what they want. Or there's folks that want to do some of it themselves, and we can help um, basically fill in the gaps where they may have questions. So um, anyway, yeah, it's kind of like I said, an A to Z, depending on what experience, what you're looking for, uh, we can definitely provide a lot of different opportunities for folks looking for those types of uh, opportunities. Very cool. So, so with all these things, you know, we talk about a lot of international stuff, I guess I, I want to hear some stories. So tell us some stories about like, uh, I'm actually inter really interested in not just like the hunt necessarily, but the, the situations you've been in. Like, I feel yeah. like when we like the stuff where travel, you mess up. Well, it's not that there's people come up to you like, Hey, you owe me 10 grand or you're not getting past this checkpoint. Right. I'm just wondering like things like that, that are a little bit more, I mean, have you experienced mm -hmm. anything like that? Cause I know like, when I travel to Jamaica and other places, people pull up on AK 47s and they walk by and you're like, Oh, am I about to die? But really they're not nothing to do with me. They just walk right by. But I guess tell some stories or anything. If you have yeah. experienced in, in your international travels doing this. No, it's, it's funny. I was last weekend. Um, I was up in, uh, we had a Kuyu mountain Academy where we were um, basically doing a customer appreciation event. And, uh, had a guy who came over to the, to our booth and he started asking me questions. He goes, Hey, I know you do a lot of international hunting. He goes, man, tell me, tell me some of the ugly stories. And so a couple of things that came to mind. Um, I traveled to South America. I've actually, I've hunted on six of the seven continents. I think I've hunted in over 34 different countries across the world. Um, and I've had some experiences. I'll tell you, I mean, hunting in Africa, South America, um, hunting in Kyrgyzstan. So when I was in South America, 2007, I was down going to uh, to Buenos Aires, and then we were flying domestically to Santa Rosa to go hunt Red Stag in the La Pampa. Well, when we got off our flight, um, our rifles were checked through customs. Of course, we had to go through customs, get the stamp and the passport, do all that, right? Understand what are you here? What are you doing here? Well, if you all recall in 2007, um, smartphones really weren't a thing then, right? So translating using Google Translate uh, was just not an option. So when I would travel years ago, I would keep a little, um, basically a, um, a dictionary with me where I could try to translate uh, based on reading a dictionary. And if I had to write something out, I would sit down and I would write out what I needed. Well, um, me and my friend got pulled into a, um, it was kind of one of those low light rooms with uh, military police uh, in the Republic of Argentina. And we'd actually ended up having an issue with the serial number on one of the firearms. Oh, and, no. uh, yeah. So fortunately, 
uh, we were able to get through, but um, you know, it's very unnerving when you're sitting there and uh, you've got military police with, you know, fully automatic AK-47s talking to you in a Portuguese descent Spanish where you can't even understand it. It's so fast. Um, so that, <laughs> that was a little bit of a, a bit of a, a concerning moment. Um, but I'll tell you another story. I was in uh, Kyrgyzstan. I hunted there uh, in 2021. So it was right after the, right after the pandemic, kind of after the bigger part of the pandemic, we were still wearing masks and all that, but the country was open to hunt. And Central Asia is an interesting place. All of the stand countries, um, they love Americans. If it's Pakistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, any of them, they, they love Americans there. So um, we get there, uh, we do our hunt. Uh, we shot, uh, each of us, me and my buddy shot two Ibex. We get back to the capital in Bishkek and we had a couple down days. So we're like, you know what, let's go and let's go tour the city. So that, you know, Bishkek is a, a million people. It's the largest city in Kyrgyzstan. Um, so we're kind of going through our, you know, going through the, you know, tourist thing, driving around. And, and uh, so we were talking about, you know, hey, we've been here. And I, I typically, as a rule, when I travel international, I don't post a lot of stuff because there's two reasons for that. One, I don't want people knowing I'm gone because I live by myself in my house. And two, I don't want people knowing I'm in those countries in the event something happens and I'm there, right? It, it's just kind of one of those things for me. And um, so we both agree that, hey, we're not going to post anything on social media till we get back. Well, somehow something leaked out on social media and it was two Americans come to Kyrgyzstan, kill our reg book animals. It was all over their national news, all oh, over man. their city news in Bishkek. Fortunately, we were able to get back to the United States and it was death threats. It was, my family was getting death threats. People that were friends with me on Instagram were getting notes saying, Hey, do you know who these people are? Cause they're sending me death threats. So wow. it was, it was a, it was an interesting deal. So my Instagram actually got shut down. I got a notification from the official Instagram account that said, we're, we're shutting down your account for 10 days. Cause I was getting, I was getting so many messages and so many blocks and restrictions that I couldn't, I couldn't keep up. So it's just, I don't know that, not that that's like a, a really kind of a, a bad circumstance by any means, but um, it's just that's things crazy. like that. I've been in Africa on the, on the border of Botswana and I've seen um, basically poachers in action happening, you know, right off the Limpopo river. I mean, so yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen uh you know, you travel enough internationally, you see some of this stuff. It's not enough to scare you from going again, but it definitely makes you think about and appreciate how good we have it here in the States. That's for sure. Yeah. And well, those scenarios can turn fairly dangerous, fairly quick. If you don't know what you're doing and you're not around the right people. I mean, shoot, you got poachers. They're, they're going to do whatever it takes to not get caught. Right. So yeah, I yeah. Mean, that, that is some pretty serious stuff that you're dealing with, but um, yeah, you know, we that, were, uh... that just, that just comes to show you that your experience traveling to all these places, knowing the ins and outs, the do's and don'ts is going to help other people that want to do the same thing when they come to, to hunt and fool for guidance and advice and all that, and all the travel recommendations. Yeah, super uh, important. I mean, you, you absolutely, that's what I, you want to maximize your, your, your value for what you're doing. It, it reminds um, me of Cecil the lion. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> That Dennis no, is like, sure. what is going on right now? You told me to shoot this lion. Now I'm freaking middle of the, everybody's news article. Everybody's, I can't imagine my death. That blew up across the world. Yeah. When that yeah. happened. For yeah. Sure. You know, and you bring up a good point. I, we get a lot of, 
female hunters that say, hey, I want to go hunt in Spain. I want to go hunt in Africa, but you know, I don't really want to go by myself, but I want to know that security is good. Like, so there are folks, everyone's, you know, concerns are different in terms of what they're looking for. And I can imagine, you know, being a, a gal who wants to go do an international hunt by herself, clearly, um, you know, national security is, is probably at the, at the highest, you know, level of what her concerns are. So, you know, being able to provide them with information like, hey, you want to make sure that when you land, these are things you do that you have, you know, someone that's picking you up. You want to make sure, um, you know, that as you're going through customs that, you know, if you have an interpreter there with you, that's always the best case scenario. That's not always the case, but some outfitters provide interpreters, some don't. Well, the ones that provide interpreters help you get through some of those situations um, that kind of get, I would say, uh, um, you know, a little questionable at times. So, you know, on knowing those outfitters, knowing um, those situations, I can help people um, with certain circumstances. Whereas if they go do it themselves and they find a cheap hunt, well, there's a reason why that hunt was half price for what I would have booked it for, because you may not get the same experience or the same level of accommodation that you would if you would have booked it through someone who's actually been there. So, yeah, yeah there's that no way, there's sure. no way I'm doing any sort. First off, a trip like that to me, I would want to go with you. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't just say, Hey, just book me the stuff. I'd be like, Hey, take me to, you know, I pay for yeah. that. Right. Take me to let's do this. Right. Because like, I feel like I, I, I like a lot of like, like when I'm not doing hunting stuff, like I really love like murder mystery stuff and things like that. So I, I listen to a lot of stories, right. A you lot freak of yourself out <laughs> and it's crazy though. And I get it. And the percentage is probably low, right. The percentage of people actually something happening to them is probably not, not super low, but not like extraordinary high or anything. Um, but like, there's those two girls that went and they, they went, I forgot where it was. It was some Island, but they got, they hired some guide there and they, he ended up killing them and then eating them. Right. Like it, it's crazy. You would yeah. never think like that would happen. Right. But again, traveling alone, or even together as two women, they couldn't obviously couldn't handle the situation. Um, you know, but I'm just saying like, when you're there, you're more vulnerable than anywhere, right? When you're not, yeah. at least in the States, even the States, you could get hurt, of course, but like if you come up with criminal people, it can happen anywhere, but there you're even worse off because your friends and family can't come try to help or find you quickly. Yeah. And yeah. so to me, you know, there's no doubt in my mind. I don't care if I'm a, a man or a woman. It doesn't really matter. I'm definitely <laughs> going most secure I can with this type of stuff. Yeah. I mean, another example last year, you know, in, in March, it was all the Ukraine, Russia stuff, right? I had this Ibex hunt booked in Turkey. Well, Turkey sits right south of Ukraine or to the, to the east of Ukraine and, and to the west you got, or to the east, west you got Ukraine, west, east you got Russia. So right smack dab in the middle, right? So the question was, is, you know, for, for my security, I was going with a buddy. I said, how do you feel about this? And he goes, he goes, I'm not worried about it. And I said, okay. So we were talking with the outfitter. Well, we went and it was interesting because all that stuff was happening in that country. And the one thing I always remind people of is, yes, you're going to fly to a, a metro area. We flew into Istanbul, one of the largest air, you know, airports in the world. But you get transferred to a domestic flight. You fly to a small little city in the country. You get picked up there. Next thing you know, you're in the middle of the mountains. Right. And, and where the last thing in the world is they're probably going to be looking for two Americans out in the middle of nowhere hunting Ibex. Right. And, and that's yeah. when you immerse yourself in that, um, you know, you just, you don't even think about what's going on outside the world. The other cool thing is I like to go places where my phone doesn't work um, because then I'm not always worried about what's going on in the world. And we, we secluded ourselves eight days, um, shot some great Ibex, came back 
and uh, flew back home and it was like nothing even happened. So anyway, it, it, it is, you should never ever undermine security when you're traveling. You should always look at all the different countries, national homeland security levels, see where they're at. During the time I was traveling, it was always, okay, COVID restrictions, what do we got to do? But as things were starting unraveling there, you just really got to make sure that you're going to a country that you feel like and that the outfitter is not going to put you in a situation where something could get bad. You know, going to Russia right now, I'm not sure that would be high on my bucket list, but I know guys that are applying for blue sheep permits to go hunt in Russia this year. So, you know, I'm not going to tell somebody no, but I'm definitely going to provide them information like, hey, oh, by the way, don't forget, you know, you yeah. want to consider this, this and this because, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to make the decision. Um, but we need to make sure that we give them enough information to understand what they may be getting into. Yeah. Make sure you don't have any THC oil in your backpack and go to yep. a Russian jail, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> what I about things it. like, so, uh, what about things like, uh, animals or bugs or, uh, anything you've encountered like snakes? Like, is there anything that's just really weird or you're like, what the heck is that? Like a chigger or something that was not something you're used to here? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I spent like 12 days in Australia. And as you know, Australia, I think it's what, eight or nine of the most venomous snakes in the world, right? Um, and after we spent time in Australia, we went and, and, and archery hunted in, in New Zealand, shot a stag and a tar there. But when we were in Australia, it was mostly sightseeing. Um, we did a little bit of diving in the Great Barrier Reef, but we had flown up to the northern part of the country where the Great Barrier Reef is. And, and <laughs> we were going around the locals. Cool thing about New Zealand and Australia, you don't have to learn a different language, right? The, the, the dialect's a little heavy there, but at least you can get by talking to these folks. Anyway, we go into this, this kind of a craft shop and um, there's a guy that makes those, they're the didgeridoos or the things that they kind of blow into and they make that interesting sound. And yeah, so we were asking, we said, hey, uh, we want to go fly fishing here. We've heard of jungle perch, which is a kind of a cool native species to, to, uh, to Australia and he goes oh he goes those are cool but you got to go fish for barramundi he goes those are where the salt water and the freshwater brackish water is interface is and he so he points us on a map and we're like okay cool so <laughs> we go we go in this swampy water and you guys are probably already probably figuring out where this goes and we start walking along the bank line and we start to see these sliver kind of slithering big like big slither going in back into the water and thinking, oh, I wonder what, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, okay, I know there's crocodiles here, but are we in an area where there's crocs? No idea. The guy didn't tell us. So we're sitting there fly fishing, trying to catch something. And uh, we keep walking down the bank and we get to the launch ramp. And then you see stenciled in there is, is this big crocodile and there's a big X through it. And it's like, you know, we literally just walked like two miles of, of bank line in some of the most prime crocodile habitat and didn't even have any idea we were there so um so yeah, yeah i mean i've i've been within areas i had no idea that there were probably predators there that that could have you know easily uh, been like those two girls and never been seen again and i had no idea we were actually there so that was that was one interesting time that i'll definitely make sure i'm a little more cautious if i'm ever fishing in australia again so so what <laughs> what is on your bucket list now Oh, that's such a good question. Um, you know, I, I've been on a few podcasts. I get asked, you know, hey, what's the coolest hunt you've done, or or what's the what's the you know the the next hunt you're you're you know you're trying to go do? And it's always like for me, it's like I enjoy every every hunt that's in front of me. Like I'm literally gearing up to start 
um, you know, scouting for blacktails and elk here on the coast. I love doing that every year. Um, but I'll tell you, I mean, there, there's, there's nothing more, I would say, um, that gets my blood going better than elk in terms of North American elk. Um, I grew up elk hunting. I've elk hunted my whole life. Um, I love, if there was one species left on the planet, um, I think it would be, I think it would be Rocky Mountain elk for sure. Uh, but, you know, I've hunted elk a lot. I've shot a lot of elk in my life. And, and, and it's one thing that I'll always come back to and I still love it. You know, it's like there's certain things I've done and I'm like, you know, I checked the box. I probably don't ever need to do that again. Um, but elk hunting is definitely one of those things that uh, I just, you know, for the rest of my life, I, I could see myself doing. Um, in terms of bucket list, there's no question, um, you know, when it comes to in the international game, um, a lot of the um, kind of the, the um, you know, distinct Argali species. So all of the Argalis in Mongolia, um, you know, they're, uh, they're at a very high level, really the pinnacle of, of, of most international hunters. Um, a lot of the capra species like markhors are definitely just cool animals. I mean, people say they're just a goat, but um, there's very limited permits on them and uh, they're just super cool animals. So exotic things like that always, um, always inspire me to want to continue to try to find ways to do those types of hunts. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I love North America. I love hunting in North America. Um, I'm going back up to BC this year to hunt stone sheep uh, in uh, September. Um, I should draw a really good archery tag this year in Arizona. I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to Greenland this year to hunt muskox and caribou. Um, and I'm going back to Turkey uh, in December um, to hunt ibex again. So, you know, there there's a lot of things on that list. Um, and I'm going back and doing some things a couple times. Um, I've got a buffalo and a sable hunt planned this summer in Mozambique, um, and I've hunted Africa three times. So, um, you know, there's just um, there's just a lot of things that you know I want us to do, and there's a lot of things that I would hunt multiple times and not even think twice about. So, awesome, Lucas, man, thank you for joining us. I appreciate you being on and doing this. I I knew you'd be a great uh, person to talk to after seeing your Instagram page. I was like, oh man, this guy's got some great stories. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. So Tim, do you have yeah. any last questions or anything you want to ask her? There, there's so many questions, but we're going to have to do another podcast to get to all of them. Yeah, no, that's good. I, you know, I guess it's interesting, Dave, when I was in, uh, in, you'll probably recognize this. I was in uh, Texas last year at the Lazy CK Ranch and I was looking on the wall there and I ah. saw there was yeah, I saw you. I saw there was a there was a the grand slam. Yeah, and I saw I saw you there. I was like, hey, I know this guy, right? But uh, <laughs> no, so I, I know I've been I've connected with you guys over the years, and you know, bow hunting is a passion of mine. Um, I've definitely diversified and and kind of got a little more into rifle hunting because the opportunities. But at the end of the day, um, the last twenty five years, I've predominantly archery hunted. I love bow hunting, um, which there's a lot of synergy there with what you guys do. I really appreciate. Um, a lot of the reviews and stuff that you guys do, a lot of the content you guys put out uh, is good. Uh, and it's a lot of products that, uh, you know, opens people eyes to what's out there in the industry. So I think want to thank you guys for, for the stuff that you do and, and appreciate having me on. Thank you. Yeah. You know, that, it's funny that Lazy CK Ranch is the closest I've ever been to international animals. <laughs> but to be honest, the experience was amazing there. And I, you know, I, I, my guy, Justin at the time, I don't think he's still there, but when when we did it he just had so much like positivity and like he's like we're gonna do this you know we're gonna beat all these other hunters and we did we we went four for four on all these different animals it was unbelievable 
And uh, I have to, I I am going to say a special thanks to Faradine who took me on that hunt and allowed me to do that. Obviously it was very, probably a pretty expensive hunt. I don't know, but it was awesome and a very good time. And to be honest, the testing of products in that scenario was literally one of the best things you could do. So like after that, I mean, it was actually a win for them with us because then it's like, I, I learned a lot about the rage broadhead more than I ever even knew. And I've used it a lot, you know, in hunts over the years, but putting it on those animals was actually very good. You know, it was actually a good idea, right. For me to experience that because now when I talk to people, I'm like, yeah, you might not like this about rage, but I'm telling you, man, it went through an odd ad and it was unbelievable. Like, you know, I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. It just smoked it, you know? And, and yeah, when you can actually test products on animals like that, it's actually a lot more information that I think personally, I think most of these companies, this is where they miss out. Like, I think they should all do things like what Faradine did for this, this type of hunt with media people, because once I experienced that, I had a lot more to talk about and a lot easier and a lot more, you know, experience to say, Hey, this product worked like this, this did this, that did this. Here's the actual video. Here's the actual, you know, so I think yep. that stuff's worth more than the money you can even imagine just because of the amount of information that can actually then get into the marketplace. So yeah, but yeah, man, thank you. you. Appreciate it. Experience. it. No, yep. It's been fun. Appreciate it. Cool. All Thanks, right. We'll see you online, dude. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.